0: Welcome back to the fearless fostering podcast. I'm your host Kathleen Burst, LCSW, and I'm very excited to be chatting with Laura Hayes today. She is a fellow foster mama and has just a wealth of knowledge. She's fostered a lot of children in her time as a foster mama. So Laura, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Kathleen. Absolutely. So what is a little bit of like how you got started fostering and why did you start fostering?
1: Sure. So about Three years ago is when I started fostering, but I knew I was going to do it. That was the plan. And I never had children of my own and I'd never been married. But I, mother, anyone in my vicinity, I'm a nurturer just by nature. And so I've been an educator and different things. And so my best friend had adopted the foster care. My sister had. So I've been in the foster community and knew like I wanted to support that community very, very much. And so when I bought my house three years ago, I literally bought it with fostering in mind. In fact, there were many offers on this house. And so I wrote a letter that said, I want to foster. And I could picture kids playing in the driveway and in the fenced in backyard. And I was not the highest bid, but they gave me the house because of my letter. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I love that. I've been doing it for three years, a year and a half, only respite.
0: And now the last year and a half, I've been doing both permanent and respite. Okay. So let's talk about respite for a little bit, because I think that's something that we really don't talk about a lot, but is such a big need. So how did you get started with respite and why did you continue on with respite for a while?
1: So I started doing respite only, although I got fully licensed. Anytime I got a call for permanent placements, I just said no. And then when I got called for respite, I would say yes, if it worked in my schedule. And so in the beginning I'm single, I work full time. I couldn't fathom taking a permanent placement yet. And, but I knew I could do respite cause I can say yes and no, there's a certain end date and I could look at my schedule. So I started doing respite. My first one was just a weekend. It was a Friday to Sunday and it was one little baby. And they said, can you do two weekends in a row? And I said, yes. So I had it for two weekends. And then I got a call from a local for a local mom who had two boys who are um, at the time two and five. And, but it was for a week and a half. It was literally 10 days. And they planned this trip early on and they'd only had the boys for a month and a half. And she was so worried they'd be traumatized, but it was her 10th year wedding anniversary. It was a long time coming this trip. And so they were my second one to have. And then it just, I'll tell more about later how I currently do it, but it just kind of started happening that way. So that's how I got into respite. And then eventually I met enough local moms, foster moms that I would just coordinate with them Weekends so that they got a break or if they were traveling, we would literally plan their vacations around my schedule. So the kids didn't have to keep going to strangers houses. They knew me and they knew the rhythm. And then last October is when I said, okay, I'm ready to permanent kids, but having, I only had one baby. So having one baby and then doing some other kids that I already knew wasn't foreign. And so the, by then there was three foster moms who I just kept having their kids, even though I had a permanent kid, because I knew them, they knew me and it just worked. So that's how I've kept up doing permanency and respite this last year and a half.
0: That is so amazing. And just what a gift to be able to be in the foster world through respite care, but also then to connect with those foster moms, because I think, I don't know, I think sometimes being a foster mom, sometimes respite, like you said, that one mom was nervous. It's going to traumatize a child. We're so scared to use respite care. But the reality is, is that, you know, one reason I think people don't foster at all is because they're afraid of how it will disrupt those like 10 year anniversary plans or what if we want to go on vacation or what if this or that and not because they don't want to take a child necessarily but because they can't take a child to like a sandals resort or they can't you know take a child out of state for some reason because either parent says no or dcf says no so it's really a necessary gift to foster parents to provide that respite care. So how did you decide with those foster mamas? Like, all right, I'm going to be your respite person and we're going to stay, stay connected and just do this for each other.
1: So it feels a little like dating. I just kept showing up. And so when I first had those little boys, when they were leaving, I said, Hey, I would do this again. And she goes, really? And so a couple weeks went by and I texted her and I said, Hey, you know, such and such weekend, I'm free. Do you want the boys to come over? And she's like, well sure it's actually something crazy that weekend you know we have a lot going on that'd be great and then the next time they came I said all right I'll check in on you next month and then it just became a rhythm and I've had she's had four placements in the last three years and I've had all of her kids once a month ever since every single placement they come to my house at least sometimes more but at least one weekend a month and we just plane it and we coordinate together and so I joke that I'm a professional aunt
0: yes I love that so much. And how much comfort are you giving to her as a foster mom into those kiddos that like, we're not going somewhere. We don't know. I mean, really it's like the best of the best case scenario for a respite to be with someone who, you know, wants to do it, who's excited about it and to provide that support to the foster family. is just such a gift.
1: Yeah. And I love that there's no guilt. So like that particular <laughs> mom, um, the two-year-old used to get up at 3am, literally And was just a wild child. And so, guess what? I was up at 3 a.m. for 10 days. But guess what? I signed up for this. She's also up at 3 a.m. So, there's no like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, no, no, no. We're supporting kids of trauma. Their brains are affected. They are emotionally insecure. There's so many things going on. And so, the behaviors or whatever, you go with it. And I always think I'm supporting that mom by really hanging in there with this child Mm -hmm. and being another voice into this kid's life. So, Yeah. There's no guilt in this.
0: That's such a beautiful perspective. And it's so, it really just is, it takes the whole child into the picture. And really that's what we're supposed to be doing as foster parents, whether we have a child for a few days or for, you know, ever we're really, really, that's what we want to be doing. So I love that you're taking that initiative to just be so in it with, with their whole situation. That's amazing. Hey, Foster Mama, I just wanted to make sure you heard about Fearless Fostering, my deeply connected group coaching program for foster mamas. Fearless Fostering is reopening for enrollment in January. The program includes a luxury retreat, a curated community of foster mom friends, and ongoing coaching with me. Applications are open now for everyone on the waitlist, and there are only 10 spots available for this round of the program. You can join the waitlist today at fearlessfostering.com. So what you said, you did start doing some, a permanent placement. What made you decide that? Yes, I'm going to do this on a more permanent basis.
1: That's a good question. It was, I had done respite long enough, and I now knew kind of how this worked. Although you kind of, you get about 10% of the view when you do respite. So I would have some bio visits on the weekends, but you're not doing the long-term therapy with them. You didn't have to figure out the daycare schedule and do homework and talk to the caseworkers like that's why I say you get about a 10% window and you kind of get your feet wet in it when you do a permanent placement that's the 90% here it comes and mm-hmm. so I'd had enough I had my community support so I would found a daycare who would have worked with me because I was going to take babies I was in a good place at work my family was on board so my kind of my support community system and so I just wanted to take the leap it was just time
0: mm-hmm. okay and, and how did so, it go yeah, for you
1: It went great. So they make the joke that the second you turn your license on within five minutes, get a call. And that's exactly what it was. (laughs) So I got a call on a Wednesday night to have a little nine month old who it was his first time in care. But I was teaching the next morning. I teach adult classes. And so I called my daycare person before I said yes. And I said, hey, I have a nine month old coming. Can you help me? And she said yes. So I called back and said yes to this little boy. And he was at my house that night. And that night he slept in pink bunny pajamas because that's all I had for his age. And then the next morning he was at daycare and I didn't know what he ate or anything about it. And so she just tried different things. He had a full set of teeth and he was walking as a nine month old. Whoa. (laughs) And she texted me. So he likes cucumbers. Okay. And so having your support system is really important. And so that was my first one. I had him 10 days. He left on a Friday. On a Saturday, I did an emergency placement for a teenager um, who went back to her group home that Monday and then ran away. It's very common in- Yeah. that system. And then that was Monday, Tuesday. I got a call for a preemie newborn who was still in the hospital. I got the call at noon. I was there at four 30. And then I had her for eight months. She was wow. four pounds.
0: Oh my goodness. Okay. And so did what had to change for you, if anything, when you did that mindset shift and that like actual shift from, okay, I'm actually doing a permanent, member in my family right now for foreseeable future. What changed for you mentally in your heart as you made that transition? Everything. So you became a
1: parent, you're 24 seven responsible for this child and managing the logistics of in our world it's DCS. Um, it's, it's a part-time job, the doctor's appointments, the therapies, the caseworkers, the hearings, all the behind the scenes logistics that you're doing differently from a biological child, but I became the mother of this child. And for the for the four-pound baby, medically fragile during a Mm -hmm. pandemic in the midst of you know all the chaos going around. And so it was a huge mental shift from um even the attachment. So when they come on the weekends or for up to two weeks, you attach them separately. I mean, you know they have an end date, they have expiration date, and they're going back. So, but with this one, oh no, 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 you completely attach. And so it was a whole it was a whole shift. And even just your scheduling, you now have a newborn baby and you're still working. And so, yeah, it was a big shift.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then as far as you had seen so many, you know, respite kiddos come and go and having, you know, this little babe in your care for so much longer, how was it for you to be dealing with, you know, the case plan of like, okay, are you going to be reunified? Are you going to be with me? Like, what was that like for you? So right out the gate, the case plan was, they even
1: called me to make sure I was pre adoptive that I was open to that because of, they'd already had this, the, the one I had had five siblings in the okay. system already. So there was a history behind the scenes and there was a history with the other siblings already trying to be adopted. And so that was right out the gate and there were no biological visits the first month and a half. And then biological visits started happening with the biological mother at month two, And then those increased to being from one day a week to three. And then the world of those were up and down. Sometimes they were canceled. Sometimes they happened. And then moving once again to a new plane where now there's a biological grandmother who wanted to have her. So the plan changed about four times in those eight months. And it was quite the roller coaster.
0: Yeah. Oh, as it often is definitely. So how did you handle that roller coaster? So
1: I, there was, there's a lot of you just have to ride the roller coaster, And I had listened to a woman who had done foster care for about 25 years. And she said, number one, nothing's ever personal. Mm-hmm. So when it, like a parent complains about you or something, they're working out their trauma and you just happen to be in the way. And so I really had to dig into like my, why have I'm doing this? Because I want to make a difference because no child ever signed up for this. I can stop fostering tomorrow. No kid can't, they can't mm-hmm. get out of the system, but I can at any moment. And so you do it for them and what's, what's in their best interest and dug into my community. I've seen a counselor. I would talk to other foster moms. I had a new foster mom call me recently and she said, all right, I'm, I'm going to get my first placement. Help me prepare for when they leave. I said, oh no, no, you can't. <laughs> I said yeah. this is what you're going to do. I said, when they leave, you're going to call me and mm-hmm. I'm going to listen to you. Cause I'll know what it's like. And we're going to talk about it. And then you're going to call another foster mom and you're going to talk about it. Cause we get this world, but mm-hmm. the idea of preparing for it, you literally can't. Um, But you're going to walk through a grief process because it's a, it's a death, probably a death of a relationship. You're never going to see this person again. Mm -hmm. And you were completely invested. And today I had to tell someone, they were like, I wish I could just move on from this and not attach. I said, well, then that would make you a sociopath. Yeah, exactly. Like, no, you were supposed to attach Mm -hmm. and we have these human emotions and it's really important for the child to also attach and to feel that love. So you just walk through the grief process and you dig into your support systems and for whatever higher power you connect with, you go to your higher power as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I remember uh, a while back, I heard Brene Brown speak. And she said that so many people, when you <clears throat> interview people who have gone through really hard stuff, like the loss of a child or, you know, anything like this, um, any loss, really, she said, you asked the people, how, how did you handle it? Like, were you able to prepare yourself for it? And they're like, absolutely not. Like, even if we knew it was coming, there's no preparing for it. And she calls right. it like, dress rehearsing tragedy. Like there's no dress rehearsing tragedy. It doesn't help anything. So be in the moment, be present, attach, attach fully. And then like you said, exactly. You will do what is needed at the time when, and if if a time comes to grieve. Yeah. Yeah. And you support reunification. I mean, you send the Mm -hmm. pictures, you write
1: in the notebook and you write in it, even when they're not writing back, when they only take the pictures out, but they won't answer your questions. Like, no, no, no. You keep doing it because it's best for the child.
0: Exactly. And that it's good
1: true. for me to remember that I'm serving this biological mother for who knows how long, but you're yeah. serving them. That's what it's about. Exactly.
0: That's exactly it. And that if we have that attitude, when we go into it, be it respite or be it a longer term placement, it's like that is the right attitude. That's what we need to be always coming back to is a place of service. That's, we're not doing foster care to like, make ourselves feel good or like be awesome people. We're doing it because there is a need and we see it and we feel called to help this need. So what would you say to someone who is like, I don't know if foster care is right for me. I'm not positive. I feel nervous about this, but respite maybe sounds like something I could maybe do. How how would you encourage this person or what would you say to them? So there's the phrase that nobody can do everything, but everybody can do
1: something. And our foster world, it's in crisis mode. There's some states, there's six times the amount of kids in the system than there are parents. Mm-hmm. So they're going, they're going to homeless shelters or sleeping in the DCS office. And so the fact that to do respite, I know in Indiana, you just have to have a background check. It'd be like if you took mm-hmm. in your neighbor's kids because the neighbors, their, their sister go out of town and their child care people got the virus or something and they cannot watch them. You know, the kids, you could take them in. You would for just a couple of days, right? Or maybe a week and then they're going back. And so I would say, if you're interested in foster care, get your feet wet wet with respite. And we don't have enough respite people, people who are willing to say yes to a foster family. And so just so you know, respite for us, you can't depend on your social worker to find it for you. Like Mm -hmm. in two years, I've not ever talked again to a social worker about respite. I just work exactly with that foster mother back and forth and we plan it and we, we, it's kind of like When I was a teacher, we had to find our own substitutes. Like, right. You think that's a little crazy, but that's how it works. Yeah. So like you would build a relationship with that, with another foster family, maybe the first time it'd be through DCS. But after that, once they connect you, you're just building that relationship and you're becoming their aunts and uncles. And so I would say, start out in the beginning. I did one weekend a month that lasted about three or four. And then I did every weekend, but in the beginning, I was like, I will do one weekend a month. And you just planned your life around it. So in December, I found two weekends I could do respite, two weekends I can't. So this month I've done respite for two, I'll do mm-hmm. respite for two weekends. And the other two, I'm out of town and have other things going on. So I would say, get your background check, see what your local child services, what, what they require. I am fully licensed, but I didn't have to be. It just was what I was doing at the time. So just do that. And then you'd start to meet some foster parents and then you, you'll cap out quickly. Like if you get up to four foster families, well, that's how many weekends for you. So
0: do the math. Yes. Okay. And I love
1: also, you have to be proactive. And so like when the person, they were like, you want these kids back? I was like, yeah, let's talk about next month. Mm -hmm. Like I had to be the one who had to be proactive. I went to one foster support night and I like passed out my cards because Mm -hmm. like, how did you get into this? How did I get into the system? You just had to build relationships and now I'm known for it, but.
0: -hmm that's yeah. so amazing I mean really it's so out there truly for someone to be like yeah, I'd love to take those kids back I'd love to help you out with that again like that's really something that every single foster mom that I talk to is like we really don't have enough hands on deck for like weekend stuff or if we're going to a wedding or things like that so it's either like one of us goes or one yeah. of us stays home and it's like okay, we can figure this out if we just collectively like had more even respite carers you know to do this stuff so and like you said not just so, one off person, even though that's great, but to also be able to say, Hey, we also have a wedding in three more months from now. Could you, would you be willing to respite for us then as well? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. But yeah, but just be proactive and keep letting them know, like, I'm open. In fact, here's my availability. Would this work for you? Like, keep pressing and then you'll, they're, we got to take their guard down because mm-hmm. you're going to be weird to them, which it's fun <laughs> to be weird. But just know, like, hey, I'm in, I'm in. So let's do it again. Let's plan it next month. Let's look at our calendars. And then you just, Uh, we, she literally planned her three vacations last year based on my availability.
0: That's amazing. And just to have that security knowing like, okay, I have care, amazing care for my kiddos while I'm on vacation or whatever. That's amazing. And then you can still say yes to fostering. You don't have to be afraid of, oh, I can't because we have this trip coming up or I can't because this or that it's like, okay, you can, if you have the right support. So that's amazing. Well, and
1: even the average foster parent quits after a year. Yep. Like for me, it took six months to get my license to think about the financial and time and energy investment and the recruitment to get me to do it. And then to leave after a year, if this were a job, you have a terrible turnover rate. Like that's so awful. We would be, you know, doing a whole case study on that employer. And so just what would it look to stay longer in the game? So the last weekend I had um, someone for respite and when I took the child back, she's like, I'm so glad you had her. I was sick as a dog this weekend like, great. Like, let's not have you. I've been, we've all been sick with kids. Like let's, Mm -hmm. let's make that an
0: opportunity so that we don't have people burning out and not having those resources to stay in the game longer. And I think that is, you just hit the nail on the head with that because it's not just about what I can do for you this weekend. It's what ultimately we are changing the game of the system when we don't allow that burnout to creep in. And when we allow people to be able to have more stamina as foster parents, because as you said, There's not enough. And so maybe this allows more people to get introduced to the idea of being a foster parent. Maybe it allows more foster parents who are already foster parenting to continue on. So there's really just nothing but good things that can come from kind of getting involved as respite foster parent. Yeah. Awesome. For
1: those who don't know, respite literally just means temporary break. And so you, they come to you and then they, but they go back. So just so you know, this means.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. Absolutely. Well, Laura, this has been such an amazing conversation and I'm so thankful for you. Can I tell you my top 10 things though to know? Oh yes. Top 10 yes. things. Okay. Top 10 things to know about right. foster care. So number one in
1: respite world, meet the child ahead of time. So I've had 65 kids come. So in the beginning, the foster mom would bring them to my house and we would like have a night of playing. And then when they left, I'd say, Hey, would you ever come back and play with me? And they'd say, yeah. And then when it was time for them to come a couple weeks later, they could just tell, hey, you're going to go to Miss Laura's house. And so now I have a couple who are far away, like 45 minutes. And so I'll FaceTime and I show them where they're going to sleep. I show them their the fridge that there's food here because kids can be food insecure. I show them their bikes because I have 10 bikes and a whole backyard. And so that's really worked. The only one time once I didn't do that, we met halfway point in a Walmart parking lot. The child thought I was kidnapping her. She's running around the parking lot. She had on a hat, a knit hat the entire weekend. She was with me. She never took it off. She was so scared <sighs> and never again. I will. And look, in fact, if someone calls me for respite and I can't meet them or do a FaceTime, then I won't have them. It's not worth it to the child. Mm-hmm. So always meet them ahead of time and ask the parents ahead of time about their rules. So like, what time do they go to bed? When do they get snacks? Because they'll come to you and say, well, my bedtime's not of <laughs> that I ahead of time. Like, don't play that game. I don't allow electronics because if they were permit, we would have a rhythm for it. But a mm-hmm. kid who's coming, I don't know their rhythm. I don't know who they're talking to. If they t- if they're allowed to talk to so and so, that's so much on me that I don't know. So mm-hmm. it's just been standard. I don't allow phones or electronics, and no kid will die for that for the weekend. <laughs> if they say, "Oh, but I have a bio parent call," great. I have a phone. Yeah, I've had I've had to have um, jails call me. Or one time they had a burner phone from the jail to call. And so I just held onto it till it was the appointed time. And then I had to be on the phone with them as well as their adult. But I just do that. Just makes life so much easier. So you don't have to fight for the weekend when they're just there for a little while. Um, Don't make food a fight. It's not worth it. I highly value vegetables at every meal. But when you're there for the weekend, that is not the time to change their nutrition. Whatever they said their favorite food was, that's what you're going with. Mm-hmm. I have a box of stuffed animals and a box of blankets. So when they come and I give them a tour, they get to pick out what they want to sleep with because every kid has different tactile needs. And they n- might not necessarily want to hug you because you may not represent something safe. So let them pick out their own stuffed animal. And then they instantly get to put it on their bed. They pick out their blanket and their stuffed animal. And I literally just collect different types of blankets from Goodwill, they all have different textures. And it's shocking to me what some kids choose. Like some kids don't want the fluffy blanket. They want just a sheet. Fine, give them as many choices as possible and say their name as much as possible because kids who are literally have no belongings to themselves, they can own their name. So Mm -hmm. say their name and give them lots of two choices that are acceptable. Do you want water or milk? Do you want to walk to the table or do you want to hop on one foot? Like don't get in the power struggle. Just keep giving them two choices that are acceptable. Mm -hmm. The, the, how you want to go somewhere. I had one kid who didn't want to get out of the car. And I said, great, you can get on my back and we can do a back, uh, a piggyback ride, or you can jump out like Buzz Lightyear who could almost fly. And he looked at me and that distracted him enough that he just jumped out like Buzz Lightyear. Like get out of the power struggle game and give him two choices that are possible. I have a wall of all their pictures. So when they come back, they go and find their picture on their wall, or they've been here at the same time as someone else. So this weekend I had five toddlers who had been here before and they kept going and taking their pictures off my wall and walking around. Cause one is when he was a baby and now he's two and a half and he's like, baby. And he said his name, baby, baby. And so, but they see like, I'm a part of this and I belong here. Cause my picture's up. Mm-hmm. And then if they're here for a week or longer, I take pictures and put them in a album, a little pocket album, because that's one thing our kids don't have is they don't have pictures of their youth of growing up. Yeah. And so we have, you know, how many pictures on our phones, but they don't have that. And they don't uh, electronics don't travel with them. They have to have the paper copy. So if they're there for a while, like take pictures of them having their experiences and send them with them. So then they have some pictures of their youth of their growing up times.
0: So those are my big, those are my big ideas. I love them. They're so good. And just good reminders in general for parents. I think those are amazing, but especially like you said, for the respite, for the like short term, let's not do power struggles. Let's like do the right thing by the kiddos and just make them as comfortable as possible. Love it. Yeah. Well, thank you yeah. so much, Laura, for sharing your, your wealth of information with us and just your heart for respite, foster care, um, and just foster care in general. My absolute pleasure. I love to talk about this.